The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Jeff Mills, and Chris Verone. Tonight on Fast, the Nasdaq closing near its lows of the day after hitting an intraday record in early trade. Big tech pulling back sharply after yesterday's rally. The late-day sell-off coming along with the latest news on the stimulus package. will bring you all the headlines. And later, gold prices hitting a nine-year high today. We'll go off the charts to see where the precious metal is going from here. Plus, Jeff Mills, the general, he's got a fast pitch on one financial name he says can add to the 30% gains it's already seen this year. And no, it's not a bank. We start off with an earnings triple play for you. Tonight's trifecta results from Snap, United Airlines, and Texas Instruments all out after the bell, all on the move in the after-hour session. Of course, we've got full-team coverage of all of these reports. Julia Borson, Phil LeBeau, and Deirdre Bosa standing by with all the details. We kick things off with Snap, the biggest mover. Julia, take it away. Well, Melissa, Snap meeting expectations on earnings uh, and beating expectations on revenue while subscriber numbers came in just half a million lighter than expected. But what is putting pressure on the stock? You see it's down over 6% is guidance that Snap is planning for the addition of between 4 million and 6 million subscribers in the current quarter, Q3. Now, that would be down from the 9 million subscribers, uh, I'm sorry, daily active users, not subscribers, daily active users it added in the second quarter. The company also saying that its combined cost Cost of revenue and operating costs will grow at percentage rates in the low to mid 20s year after over year compared to last year. Now, the company is saying that these increasing costs are because it's investing in long-term growth. Now, Snap did not give any revenue guidance, but said that from July 1st through July 19th, Snap has seen 32% revenue growth, saying they're cautiously optimistic these trends could sustain over time, but that they're conscious that operating conditions may be volatile and could deteriorate. Now, Evan Spiegel saying in his prepared remarks, he's kicking off his earnings call right now, saying, quote, certain industries like CPG, gaming, streaming services, and e-commerce have benefited from some of the COVID-related changes in consumer behavior and have been leaning in as advertisers on our platform. Our significant investments over the past few years in our team and our ad platform helped us provide substantial value to both direct response and brand advertisers as they navigate these rapid and unprecedented shifts in the market. Now, Snap, in its uh, earnings reports and its slides here, stressing its strength with millennials and Gen Z, saying it reaches 75% of 13 to 34-year-olds in the U.S., and also in that user base's engagement through Snap's camera, saying there are 4 billion Snaps Created daily. Melissa? Julia, thank you. Julia Borson with the latest on Snap. Shares are down 6% in the after hours trade. Uh, Tim Seymour, what do you make of I mean, even though we're down 6%, we've been pretty much range bound on the stock for, for all of July. Yeah, we have been. And, and just the numbers going into this print were largely, though, extraordinary off the bottom, uh, almost 240 percent. But it, it's the relative outperformance to Facebook and, and at least from the investor community perspective, taking uh, some maybe some allocation dollars up 40 percent versus Facebook really since June 1. Um, so we, we know that the demographic here is probably more focused on some of the, uh, the politics and some of the things that have been the headwinds for Facebook. Uh, the nice thing for Snap, you know, I love my ARPU, Mel, uh, you know, basically ARPU grew about 13%. Uh, that was better than expected. The DAU 
pull forward is something that we've seen with with other social media and and even online companies, even you know something that Netflix went through. So the fact that the third quarter guide uh, all the way through is anywhere four to six million DAUs and that comes in weaker than expected shouldn't be a huge surprise. But I, I think this is all about where we've come from with the stock. It's been quite a run. Yeah. Um, Jeff Mills, your take on the quarter for Snap. And is there a read through to some of the other social media stocks? Yeah, so I agree with Tim in that it's a story about where we've come from. And clearly they're in a good space from a macro trend perspective. I mean, their exposure to e-commerce and therefore their exposure to digital ad spending, I think, is important. If you look at industry surveys, it looks like in the second half of the year, you're going to see digital ad spending start to grow again to the tune of about 13%. And Snap's been able to execute pretty well. If you look at the direct response ads, for example, um, there's a big trend there. Snap is capitalized. That actually held up the best in the depths of the downturn. So overall, I think Snap's doing a relatively good job. I think the problem is um, the valuation. Looking at Snap at 20 times sales versus some of the others, Google, Facebook, Twitter, for example, at nine times sales, I think that's part of the problem. Anything other than perfect guidance, perfect revenue, et cetera, you're going to see a little bit of a pullback. So although I think the company is doing a good job, I would rather enter at a much lower price. Yeah, and this might be the story of earnings season, unless it reports perfect revenue, perfect everything, Karen, with these runs. Um, you, ha- you might have to expect some of these moves like this, like this pullback we're seeing in Snap. Right. I mean, yeah, Tim, Tar- where it went from the bottom mm-hmm. to the top, just in a straight line. And, you know, recently the story of whether TikTok would potentially be banned in the United States and then the Facebook troubles, of course. So I don't know if there's a read through, if they are, if they're, some of that Facebook money is going over to Snap in a Facebook or if just the pie is getting bigger. I think Facebook was off last I saw on the heels of this. I, I still just find it too expensive to own. And I mean, it's off, what, 4 or 5% uh, in the aftermarket? I, wasn't a bad quarter at all. I don't blame them at all for not giving uh, guidance um, because who. They're having some technical difficulty with Karen's audio and her video, actually. Um, but Chris, why don't you take it from here? Tell us what you yeah. think of this chart. Well, I think this is an opportunity to add a good chart at lower prices over the next number of days. We'll see where it opens tomorrow. I think you could probably trade it down to maybe 21 and a half, 22 over the next number of weeks. There's a lot of support down there. It's where you broke out from. And if you look back at that breakout, you did it on really big volume. So the stock was being accumulated as it got through 2021. I think you'll have a chance to add it there. You have the 50 day up through the 200. So it's a good technical chart. I would add on weakness. All right. Uh, next up, let's get to uh, shares of United after reporting earnings. Let's bring in Phil LeBeau with all the numbers. Phil. Hey, Melissa, we've got three things we're going to focus on. Let's start first off with the Q2 results, which a lot of people will look at and they'll say, well, we know it was a disaster. It was a disaster for all the airlines, but we're going to give you the numbers nonetheless. It was a loss of $1.6 billion. They've reported a profit of a billion dollars in the second quarter of last year. That comes out to a loss of 931 a share, worse than what the street was expected, but the estimates were all over the place. And revenue coming in a little better than expected at $1.47 billion. The estimate was just over $1.3 billion. The first key metric of the two we're going to focus on, where do things stand in terms of daily cash burn? In the second quarter, United's daily cash burn was $40 million a day. That is on the low end of the guidance that the uh, airline provided, which was between 40 and $45 million a day. For the third quarter, and this is new guidance, it's going to be 
an average of $25 million a day. That is the company's guidance at this point. Previously, it was saying it expected daily cash burn at $30 million. So that's an improvement of about $5 million a day in terms of daily cash burn. And then the other key metric we're focusing on, liquidity. Remember, cash is king, and it's all about having enough to ride out not only the, set, the third and the fourth quarters, but also the first quarter, which is going to be a brutal one for the airlines. Currently, they are sitting on $15.8 billion. At the end of the third quarter, United expects to have over $18 billion. And by the way, that includes uh, a loan from the Treasury Department for $4.5 billion that United has not tapped but likely will tap. All the airlines have this secondary loan from the Treasury Department that's been approved, yet many of them have not yet tapped it. They have until the end of September to make that decision. Don't forget, tomorrow morning, you do not want to miss this exclusive. We'll be talking with United CEO Scott Kirby exclusively on Squawk Box. And look, this all comes down to his view of where the market is right now. And you've heard, uh, Melissa, Jim Cramer has talked about this. Others have talked about this. Are the airlines strictly a vaccination play right now? In other words, people aren't going to fly in big numbers and traffic's not going to come back until we get some really positive news on a vaccine. And not, not more, than, more than what we've seen so far. In other words, people can say, aha, I see it coming. I know that it's coming. Therefore, I'm going to get back on boards. We'll talk to Scott Kirby about that tomorrow morning on Squawk. We look forward to that, Phil. As for the $25 million a day cash burn number for the third quarter, what's your take on why it's lower than expected? Is it probably a head, more headcount reduction? Well, a couple of things. Headcount reduction, which kicks in, uh, that really doesn't kick in until the end of the third quarter. So Mm -hmm. it's less about headcount reduction. Really, it's not about that. It's more about the fact that they've done a great job in terms of limiting capacity. When you look at uh, their uh, load factors and where they are in terms of how many seats they put in the uh, air, they've been much more aggressive than their competitors about saying, we're just not going to fly. We're not going to put planes out there and try to flood the market with seats and hope that people come back. They have been very judicious, and that's showing up in the cash burn coming down as aggressively as it has been. Very different from American Airlines' uh, attitude. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau with uh, UAL's report. So lower cash burn in the third quarter, higher cash position. That means a longer lifeline, Tim, for UAL. Yeah. Yeah, do some quick math. Uh, you know, for, uh, basically four times 25, you get to 100 times 10. So a billion dollars they burn in every 40 days. Uh, they're going to have 18 billion by the end of the third quarter. So we know they've got about a year and a half is just what I did. Maybe I'm wrong, right or wrong. Uh, but I, I think the story that Phil's talking about is, is matching uh, essentially demand, supply, demand. So load factor for August will be at 35. It was 40 in July. Uh, the concerning thing is the good thing here, right? So their, their cash burn is coming down because uh, they're, they're matching demand. But six weeks ago, we were talking about if you look at bookings out of Newark in, in uh, the end of June, they were down 65 percent. Uh, as we go into August, they're going to be down 85 percent. So we had thought as we got through the summer, we were actually going to see uh, more of that capacity coming back online. In fact, they're going the other way. Uh, that's good news for shareholders, I believe. But ultimately, normalized earnings for airlines, we, we really have no idea. Yeah. Um, Karen's on the phone now. Karen, your take on United Airlines, especially as, as New York is adding more states to the travel ban list or, or the, the list from which visitors must quarantine two weeks when they arrive in New York. Karen? Okay. We'll try and get Karen on the phone. 
<laughs> in the meantime, Jeff Mills, I'll go to you, um, because as Tim had pointed out just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about UAL having all sorts of cancellations because of its presence in the New York, New Jersey area. And here we are. More and more states are being added to that long list of, of quarantine states. More trouble for the airline. Yeah, and I've been pretty vocal about my trepidation about the industry overall. But, you know, I do think looking at UAL specifically, you know, it's a stock that's down 62 percent. And it's interestingly showing some pretty good support at the upward sloping 50 day moving average. So I do believe that it's a reopening play. I do believe that it's a vaccine play. So if you're an investor that believes those headlines are going to be positive, I think you could play it here for a trade just from a technical perspective. But I would keep a short leash on it. You know, I go back to the specific of the company, and I think about international demand and international revenue exposure as an example, a company like United is pushing upwards of 40% of their revenue exposure linked to international travel demand, where some of the other larger carriers, Delta, American, more in the mid-20s. So I think that's particularly problematic for them. And then also, I think about their pricing and the ability to price for profitability. Go back to the financial crisis. Think about how many years it took for airlines to get back to pricing that led to profitability. So when you think about the cash burn and trying to triangulate that to profitability, I think we have to keep that in mind, virus or no virus. How long does it take to work off some of the lingering effects of the recession? And then Mm -hmm. you tack on top of that some of the questions, I think, from business travel demand uh, and that being more of a secular shift. For me, I'm still very cautious. I mean, some might call the airline zombie companies at this point because they're not making money, but yet they have huge cash positions on their balance sheets that will keep them afloat. Chris. No, I think Jeff's got this right. You know, is it tradable in the context of the next number of weeks? It may be that 30 level, I think, is big support. But is it investable in the context of is this stock going to be a leader over the next number of years? And that's where I'm a skeptic. And looking at the airlines today reminds me so much of how the banks traded off the 2009 lows. Remember, the bank stocks doubled and tripled the first couple months off the March 09 lows. And then they were stuck there year after year after year When you're at the scene of the accident, like the airlines are right now, the likelihood historically that you return as a leader in the next cycle is pretty low. So maybe they're tradable, but are they a secular leader on the other side of this? Probably not. All right. Uh, Last up in our earnings trifecta, uh, here's how Texas Instruments is trading after reporting results, uh, up by a percent. The after-hours gain had been much higher shortly after the release of this report. Deidre Bosa has the headlines. Deidre. Hey, Melissa, that call is just wrapping up, but let me give you just sort of the headline. Guidance, of course, has been key this quarter, and Texas Instruments not only providing guidance, but raising it for the third quarter. And that could give some hope to the rest of the chipmaking industry, which has been disrupted on the supply and demand side due to the pandemic. Now, on the earnings call, one analyst noted that ex-auto weakness, it seemed that the pandemic didn't actually have that much of an impact on its business otherwise. TI executives, now they are striking a conservative note saying that they remain cautious amid an uncertain environment, but they do think that growth is sustainable over the long run. Uh, CFO Rafael Lazardi was also asked about M&A appetite. He said that the current environment is a great time to make the most of opportunities, but they'll continue to follow the same framework that they have been following. Now, Texas Instruments, it also continues its so-called strategy of optionality that is keeping production levels at about the same as they were at the beginning of the year. And that means they'd be ready if demand snaps back quickly. Lazardi on the call said that they were pleased with that strategy so far. Melissa, I also just want to mention the last question before I hopped on TV because I thought it was a really interesting one. One analyst asked about the threat 
of China developing its own chips in the current economic and political environment. Uh, TICFO downplayed that threat, saying that they're in a good position to compete against chip-making companies, whether they're American, European, or Chinese. Back over to you. Deidre, thanks. Deidre Bosa, TXN is uh, up about a percent or so in the after-hours trade. Uh, Jeff Mills, maybe no surprise that they beat. Uh, We had positive pre-announcements from its competitors, Analog, as well as Maxim. So we sort of expected this. Yeah, I think so. And if you look at the way that the stock's been trading, you know, for a while it struggled at that 130 level. And even before earnings, it broke above that. So I think there's some momentum in this specific name that you could play. And we just talked about the strategy that they're employing. Because you haven't seen that massive reduction in demand, the fact that they're continuing to produce inventory at pre-virus levels, I do think it sets them up well to continue um, to drive fundamentals going forward. You know, whether whether we recover uh, fully from an economic perspective or not, it seems like the chips are still in relatively high demand. So ultimately, I think that this is a stock that you can probably own. It's not cheap here at 29 times forward, but neither is the entire industry. So overall, I like the name. All right, let's get to another mover in the after hour session. Shares of Best Buy are trading higher after the company said sales since reopening are up 15 percent compared to last year. It's also raising its starting hourly wage to 15 bucks starting August 2nd. Those shares are up by 3.6 percent. And Tim, I guess this is exactly what people are buying now that they're doing more work from home and school from home. Electronics. Yeah, Best Buy is Best Buy has definitely been uh, a have between stimulus checks and between the work at home trade. Uh, people are are, are are certainly beefing up their infrastructure there. So the question is, how much have they pulled forward? And, and uh, this is what we say about Best Buy uh, many times as we're coming out of a crisis. I remember this uh, 11 or 12 years ago. People were questioning the consumer. Uh, but the reality is that this this is a company that's done such a great job since that time in, in getting their DTC, getting their online business, getting their inventory levels uh, to a place where they're a very efficient company and they're not sitting on inventory. Uh, I think the stock goes higher. I, I actually think that they are uh, they have, first of all, found a place well ahead of what competition is left. They are competing with Amazon. They are competing with Walmart. Uh, and it is the place that people think of first when they're going for electronics. We are a whisper away from the 52-week high, uh, Chris. Yeah, this is one of my favorite names in this entire sector. Mm. I mean, let's remember, it's not like this has been some runaway stock. It's spent the last three years, basically since mid-17, between 50 and 90, just breaking above that 90 level will probably do tomorrow. But what's most importantly for me is this has made new relative all-time highs versus the S&P. So not only is it going up in absolute terms, it's an outperformer. It's best of breed among brick and mortar. I think it's a must-own here. That range, is that considered the, a base, the longer the base sort of thing that we like to say, longer the base, exactly. higher in space? This is a huge base. It's been okay. there for three years. 50 to 90, it counts to about 130, 140. Hat tip to Luis Yamada, of course. Let's turn now to a developing story. The next round of stimulus expected to be introduced in the next few days. Kayla Tash has got all the details. Kayla. Melissa, top congressional Democrats just finished a roughly 90-minute meeting with officials from the Trump administration, including the Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin and Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, in which Democrats communicated to the administration that the $1 trillion benchmark that they're currently working with is not sufficient and that they want to see uh, the draft of the Republicans' bill before trying to negotiate against broad principles. Despite $2 trillion of differences between where the two parties stand right now, Senate Majority leader Mitch McConnell, who is drafting that forthcoming bill, said today that it will include at least one of several Democratic priorities, and that is another round of direct stimulus checks. 
we'll lay out the specifics. I'm going to introduce a bill in the next few days that is a starting place that enjoys fairly significant support among Republican senators, probably not everyone. And uh, at that point, we'll be more specific about how to allocate. But we do envision uh, direct checks again. There is hardly full consensus among Republicans. Senator Rand Paul voiced opposition to another round of checks for people who still have jobs. Florida Senator Rick Scott opposes not only more aid for states, but also more flexibility for states to use existing aid. McConnell himself noted significant differences of opinion on a payroll tax holiday that has been pushed most personally by President Trump. And Melissa, the window to get a deal is very narrow. A moratorium on evictions and the expansion of unemployment benefits are both set to end this Friday, July 25th. And the small business grant program known as the PPP will end on August 8th. And as for the virus itself, it is showing no signs of dying out. And President Trump at the coronavirus briefing that has restarted as of just this hour just said that it is going to get worse before it gets better. Melissa? Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche. Not too much time to figure out within the party, uh, Jeff Mills, uh, what they're going to put forth and between parties what they're going to put forth. Right. You know, now you're talking about weeks, not months in terms of figuring this out. And I do think it's part of the market's calculus in terms of where it's priced right now, because you still have 17 million people unemployed. You have 40 percent of the jobs we gained last month in leisure and hospitality. And we've seen what's happened with the virus since then. And then even if you look at some of the timely data, whether it's air travel, open table, whatever it is, you know, that started to moderate a little bit. We had consumer sentiment moderate a little bit last week. And I think that all hinges back to filling this income gap. You know, we've seen it filled. In fact, consumers have had more money in their pockets post-virus than they did pre-virus because of the bolstered unemployment benefits. But the fact of the matter is, if we don't get something put into place, this sales trajectory that we're seeing in the overall economy simply isn't sustainable. So this is critical. If it looks like there are going to be delays, I would expect that the market reacts to it. But overall, I do think we get something passed. Tim? I think it's very difficult to expect delays on unemployment and, and even the mortgage relief. I, I just There's no way they can't continue to roll that down, uh, at least until there's some clarity on, on the same things that were there when they threw those uh, pieces of aid to the public. So it uh, sounds like more good news for Best Buy. Uh, you know, I think stimulus checks are, are, are one way. Uh, certainly there's plenty of folks that need them. There's plenty of folks that didn't. Uh, and some of that liquidity we've talked about has, has found its way straight into the stock market. Yep. So I think all of these dynamics are, are very difficult to, to see why they would change with an administration that wants to push for them with a, uh, an uncertainty around the virus and, and every reason to everyone believe that we need to lengthen the ability for the, the economy to, to recover. And I think that's what we're going to get. And I think the market's going to like it. All right. Coming up, shakeups in the C-suite causing some big moves and two big stocks will break down what is going on in these names next. Plus gold surging to its highest level in years. Where should you hide out? A top technician will join us and will tell us where to seek safety. And don't forget to tweet us. We've got yet another round of total requests fast today. Send us your burning trading questions. We will answer them live. Stay tuned. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. 
crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. A couple of C-suite shakeups hitting Wall Street today. Let's start off with Wells Fargo. Shares jumping more than 6% after announcing BNY's Mike Santa Messino will take over as the big bank's newest chief financial officer. He will replace current CFO John Shrewsbury, who had been in the role for six years. He'd been at Wells Fargo for 22, and he's one of the few uh, surviving uh, members of the C-suite through all those fake account scandals, Tim, and of course the difficulty in passing the stress test with the Fed. Um, stock is up, so is this a good thing? Yeah, I think this is. I think this is consistent with, with the other changes we've seen at Wells Fargo and, and the need to, to really to clean house and have a fresh start that, that goes from some of the regulatory oversteps or understeps uh, down to just the, the perception, then to uh, the business model and the balance sheet, and the balance sheet, which has also had to uh, fortify itself for potential provisions and write-downs and, and litigation. So, uh, look, a 6% move for this beleaguered play, which has underperformed a Morgan Stanley uh, in the 40 to 50 50 percent uh, since uh, since this pullback. I mean, it's extraordinary uh, where this large money center bag sits in terms of opportunity. But there's 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 no reason for me uh, to change it. I, I do think a clean start with management is part of that. And this is a step. All right. Let's move on here. Tapestry, the parent company of Coach and Kate Spade, also ending the day higher by around 4 percent following the abrupt departure of CEO G. Day Zeitlin. Zeitlin saying in a, a statement to CNBC that he felt compelled to resign following recent allegations of personal misconduct. Shares of Tapestry still down about 49 percent this year. This was a really uh, fascinating story because this concerned a relationship in which supposedly he posed as a photographer, had a relationship with this woman. This was 13 years ago. The relationship was started and ended. And yet here he is today uh, because a journalist was going to publish an article about this whole thing that would be published on the website of a foundation that was backed by hedge funds and short sellers. So, Karen, the, the layers, Karen's back, I think, the layers to this <laughs> are, go really deep and they go really far in terms of time. They do go really deep and far, and that's you sort of wonder. All right, at what point is something is sort of a there a statute of limitations on something, or you know he wasn't at the company then? I don't know. I understand why he would want to step down just because the negative publicity is really bad for them. I always thought he was sort of an interesting choice, much more of a banker and a Wall Street guy than a merchandise, or you know, than a merchant. I thought it was an unusual choice, so. I guess back to the drawing board for the for the board. Um, it's uh, it's a weird story. I don't really know what to make of it. I don't know how much it really changes the story because the macro for Kate Spade right. and Coach and Stuart White's is so unless much of the story. Unless you think that getting rid of the CEO who hadn't been in the role for very long paves the way for some sort of takeover, because you've got an empty seat there, Karen. I I. I, I don't see many retail deals getting done mm -hmm. for companies that have enough liquidity to make it through. Okay. Right. For ones that are bankrupt, that's we've seen this some interesting stuff with the mall operators who are looking to. 
by retailers that are really struggling. I guess, I, I mean, it's, I haven't seen many deals in the retail space, so I'm a, a little hesitant to, to, I wouldn't buy it on that hope. Okay. Coming up, Chris Verone is going off the charts. He's going to break down where he sees some buying opportunities. Stick around for those names and later. How much of a boost did online broker see from a surge in stay-at-home trading? We'll bring you all the action on the earnings reports ahead. Much more Fast Money coming up. Welcome back to Fast Money. Gold price is hitting a nine-year high today. This on the back of a huge dollar sell-off. Chris Verone thinks there's a few more ways to play uh, this if the Dixie keeps diving. Let's go off the charts. Chris, take it away. Yeah, well, I think, as you said it, what's driving this entire story is weak dollar. This is a major regime change in dollar here. You bring up a chart of DXY, you're challenging that 95 level. We're back to lows of the year. It closed on the lows of the day today. I think you risk something like 90.91 in USD. If you look at that in terms of euro context, you're talking about maybe 117, 118 in terms of euro USD. And the benefactors of this, I think, are clear. The metals continue to work. Yet gold, is it stretched? Probably stretched in the near term. But you have good support back near 1750, 1775 uh, on the gold chart. I want to continue to respect the uptrend there. Uh, higher lows uh, has been the story there, not just for the last number of months, but really gold started to turn up and bottom 18 months ago. So before any of us knew about this crisis, before any of us knew about U.S. dollar, gold began to forecast that. So I want to respect the strength there. If you're looking for beta or if you're looking for something maybe more timely, silver, I think, is another good bet here. Breaking out of an absolutely huge base, uh, going back about seven, eight, nine years, silver getting up through 19 is a major, major move. I think 26 is ultimately where this uh, is on its way to. But I think bigger picture, if you want to play it through the corridor of equities, what are the stocks that tend to be most correlated to moves in gold and moves in silver and lower moves in dollars? So we came up with this list of about 10 names that have negative correlations with dollars. So dollar down, these stocks up, names like Cat and Deer and Southern Copper, Cummins, that one broke out today, uh, Parker Hannafin. There's a good group of industrial material stocks that tend to benefit when dollar down. So if you're looking to play it through the equity market, 10 names here, I think very good opportunity. Yeah, I mean, Tim, a lot of these names get a sort of a double boost because they benefit from being multinationals with the weak dollar, but also the weak dollar provides them upside on the commodity price uh, in which they, they, which they sell, basically. Yeah, so uh, you know, cue up the Huey Lewis and turn on your, your VCR and back to the future. For, for I mean, think about Southern Copper. I mean, this was a name we, we barely talked about, but Chris is right to point out these charts. First, gold-silver. Uh, gold-silver ratio essentially went to all-time lows for silver players. Uh, and, and since those lows, it, silver has actually outperformed. It's had, its rally's been, it's been golden. It's been up 40% relative to gold in this rally for gold. There's a lot more to go go with silver. I, I think the other uh, PGMs look at look at platinum um, and and see the breakout there. We're going to get back to those highs that we hit before the crisis. Uh, I do think these mining stocks and remember the ultimate play for the weaker dollar. If you're playing equities and you want to play an asset class, is emerging markets. And if you look at that EEM, it's just getting back above where we were at pre-crisis levels. If the dollar's going to 91, like Chris says, emerging markets and Germany, EWG would be the places I'd go. You snuck that self, would you rather? And you're so stealthy. You thought I wouldn't catch it. But it was a silver and gold. I never self, do that. would you rather? I, and you chose silver. Well, you never do that. Well, Guy and Grasso that. aren't here. They're, they're the guys right, that do that. you got to pick it up. So right. All right. Uh, Jeff yeah. Mills, um, to play a weak dollar, where would you go? 
Yeah, well, Tim kind of took the words right out of my mouth in terms of emerging markets. It was actually going to be my, my final trade. So any area where you can get that type of international exposure and emerging markets specifically, if you look at the correlation between just the overall index there and the dollar, it's been fairly negative, especially as the amount of dollar-denominated debt has increased more and more in EM. So if you want kind of a pure play that's very level, levered to the inverse dollar, I would certainly say emerging markets. I get a little cautious about some of the names in the industrial space. I know we've been doing well over the past couple of weeks, but we're right back to where we were in the beginning of June. If you look at even mid- and small-cap stocks, industrials, value in general, we're about to do battle with that downward sloping 200-day moving average. So I want to see what happens at that point in time because we failed in June. I still have questions about the sustainability uh, and really the speed of the economic recovery. So I would be more inclined to go overseas and get the exposure there. Yes, Tim, you've raised your hand. What's your question, sir? Well, it, I, I just, you know, it's not self, would you rather if you don't say self, would you rather? I, I, I feel like I was classified with something that I, I just didn't I didn't say that. OK, well, it's like a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically, you, you did it without using the actual words. So it's the same. It's this the same is true. thing. This is true. Anyway, um, coming I'm up, sorry. <laughs> coming up, a 25 percent rally by Friday. You heard that right. Option traders are betting on a full speed ahead rally in this name. We got the trade next. But first. The general is winding up for a fast pitch. He's banking on gains in one name. Will he knock it out of the park? Find out when he takes the mound. That's next. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Jeff Mills is stepping up to the plate with a fast pitch on one non-bank financial that you can take to the bank, he says. Jeff, take it away. All right, let's jump right into it. So, yeah, in the financial space, you know, I think this is a company that's almost inversely levered to the low rate story and the craziness that's going on in the debt markets. And I think there's a lot of areas that can drive growth. So number one just is the debt issuance in the corporate bond markets. You know, I think with rates staying low and the need for these companies to tap capital and their exposure to the ratings, you know, their, their market share is huge there. I think that's going to be a big growth driver. And then the trends in ESG, you know, investors, companies, they're looking for uh, individual assessments in terms of those metrics, uh, and S&P Global has a lot of exposure there as well. I also think China's a big driver. So they've made big inroads in China. You know, they're the only independent foreignly owned rating agency that is able to operate in China. I think it opens the doors to international investors, potentially to the onshore Chinese bond market. 
And then finally, I just think that the fintech business, the info services business, in terms of the indexes, you know, passive indexing is not going anywhere in the investment space, and they are certainly exposed to that. I think perhaps the valuation is a little bit of a question. The stock has run some, but it's priced alongside with Moody's. It always is. They get that premium for being a duopoly. They've got 80% market share in the rating space. And I just think there's a huge moat around these businesses, whether it's regulatory or just simply building up the reputation to operate in that space, um, I think they will do well there. So overall, with all of those things in combination, perhaps you can buy it at a lower price just given the run. But I think this is a really good long-term story in the financial space that is not a bank. Tim, you got a question for the general? I, I, I do. And the general throwing some nasty stuff tonight, and, and I, I, I tend to agree. In fact, my question is, do you think they've been overly conservative on the indices and the ETF flows? The last you know, real guide we got from them was when, you know, before the market kind of had done what it's done. Is that even a bigger tailwind to, to this story than additional corporate issuance? Yeah, I think it probably is, quite frankly. And I know there's this big talk about active and passive and what's going on with indexing. and Perhaps it's swung too far in one direction, but... I do think that they've been a little bit conservative there, and I don't think that the growth in that space is going to slow down at any point in time. So the intellectual property that they have, the technology that they have to deliver those services, I do think it's a massive tailwind because the corporate debt issuance, sure, it can ebb and flow. I think it will probably be elevated for some time, but overall, I do think the indexing is a big story for them. All right, time to vote. Are you buying Jeff's pitch on S&P Global? Karen, what do you say? I actually am. As a, as a value investor, it's not right in the sweet spot of valuation, but I like the story. Um, I think we're going to see debt issuance for as long for a while, um, and so and the moat. I think it's uh, so all that together. Even though it's expensive relative to itself and to the market, I still like it. Mm. Bye, Chris Verone. Yeah, I think the answer is yes. Uh, this is still a buy for us. You know, when you look at the trend of the stock. This has been an uninterrupted uptrend for the last seven, eight, nine years. Until it proves you wrong, it's remarkably hard to bet against. There's good support here, 325. I think the Jeff's point, if it comes back in, you're a buyer there. Tim? Joker, joker, and a triple. Wow. I mean, this is a, this is a buy. <laughs> this is a buy. If anything, the indices are trading expensive as well. I think the I think you know the corporate issuance may be the sweet spot, but I do think the flows into these indices continue to go higher. Nice job, General. Clean sweep for the general here on S&P Global. But are you at home buying Jeff's pitch on S&P Global? Not too late to vote. Go to at CNBC Fast Money and cast your vote right now. Ahead, Interactive Brokers and TD Ameritrade on the move after their earnings reports. How did the boom in retail trading affect their quarters? We'll break it down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Interactive brokers and TD Ameritrade on the move after hours following their earnings reports. Let's get to Kate Rooney for what is moving the stocks. Kate. Hey, Melissa. The brokerage firms were helped by a retail trading bonanza last quarter. First, TD Ameritrade. That stock up about 3% after hours. Following a beat on the top and bottom line, the firm seeing record new accounts and, quote, unprecedented trading volume in its fiscal third quarter. Daily active revenue trades, or so-called darts, came in at an all-time high of $3.4 million. That was more than four times what it was a year ago, and up 62% from the prior quarter. They also had a record for new client assets. TD is expected to be bought by Charles Schwab for $26 billion. That deal is on track and expected to close in the second half 
according to executives today. Meanwhile, interactive brokers seeing the same tailwinds with a beat on the top and bottom line. Commission revenue was up due to increased trading activity. Total darts also up 111 percent year over year. Customer accounts jumping 36 percent from the year ago quarter. IBKR reporting a rise in expenses, though, due to a $104 million loss. That was from compensating customers affected by crude oil contracts settling below zero. You remember that happening back in April. Both brokerage firms seen the effects of lower interest rates as well, with a drop in net interest income. Melissa, back to you. Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney. Uh, Chris Brown, what do you make of these stocks, these charts? I think one is legitimately getting better. I think IBKR is improving here. I think it's improving in a meaningful way. 50 back up through the 200. It's been bottoming and basing for the better part of the last number of months. Ameritrade, I'm more of a skeptic. I mean, this has been in a downtrend. But if you want the best of breed in the brokers, go up the cap scale. Morgan Stanley is the best chart among the brokers, and it's the one where I think long should be concentrated. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's a story of the second quarter, and that is to what degree are you pulling forward from the third quarter, Jeff, and I feel like there's a little bit of that here as well. And then there's also the the question of sustainability of, of all of these trading levels, given work from home. And as the, if the economy reopens, people have less stimulus, et cetera, that could change the dynamics here. Yeah, I think that I brought that up last time, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know whether it's, you know, the Dave Portnoy effect, the barstool effect, but you have a ridiculous amount of account- accounts being added to some of these brokerages. And what we've seen, stocks only go up. This is easy. And if that proves not to be the case at some point, then how active do these traders remain? So to your point about the pull forward, I think it's legitimate. You're seeing so much consolidation in the space. And I know the stocks had a hard time, but I think about a Schwab, for example, you know, a really big company that's able to buy up other companies that can leverage that size for cost efficiencies. Um, I, I think that's really important. And a name like that has a lot of catch up to play. So I, I would focus my uh, attention there, actually. All right. Speaking of all the trading that's going on, it's time for another edition of Total Request Fast. One viewer had a question about Wayfair and valuations in general. We see Robinhood and retail investors get knocked for over exuberance and an element of unsophistication in their reaction to the markets. We also see Goldman Sachs slap a $260 price target on a stock like Wayfair. When do we start looking at outrageous valuations and being a problem when hyping corporations that don't turn a profit? Thanks a lot. That's a good question, Tim. That's a nice, skeptical, cautious question. It was almost rhetorical. I mean, I think I know where, where he's going. I, I Look, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think the, the, the trends... Uh, in nesting and and home improvement and and you know fix, buying a new bedspread are are are, are largely overdone. I, I think the valuations are are not you know going to be sustainable. I think disposable income with or without a stimulus check is going to be down three and a half percent in the third quarter, mm-hmm. as far as I can tell. But uh, these guys uh, with the tailwind within the sector. Uh, we're taking market share and and, and actually growing uh, their presence in the space. I, I don't I, I don't chase these. And, and this is one that I do think has been a retail play. Having said that, if we're expecting more retail stimulus checks, then uh, some of this could go a bit longer. Be skeptical. You're right to be skeptical. The valuation doesn't make sense. Behaviors may change, but you have also the issue of this pull forward notion, Karen, and at least for, for home furnishings. I don't know how many coffee tables one can buy over the course of a couple of quarters. I mean, I only have so much space to put coffee tables. I only drink so much coffee. 
<laughs> right, but then you're, you know, you wear out the couch and you want to redo the couch. So, I mean, I understand why people, you know, we haven't spent this much time at home, maybe ever, and so now you kind of want to fix your home up. Maybe I, every home in America, I guess, can't be filled. But his question is a really good one. The first thing he has to look at those balance sheet. And do they, or do they continue to improve their margin? Sometimes you see big revenue growth and giant expense growth, and that's a really hard one for me to value. So if the margin improves, that at least gives you a path for a way to profitability. All right. Coming up, Tesla has been on a tear. We'll tell you what the options traders think about the electric vehicle maker as it gears up for earnings tomorrow. Plus, it's a triple tech night on Mad Money. The CEOs of Plug Power, Okta, and Logitech join Jim Cramer tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla down nearly 4% today, taking a rare hit ahead of tomorrow's earnings report. The stock has added nearly $146 billion in market cap since its last release back on April 29th. Option traders are betting it could add another $75 billion more by the end of the week. Mike Coe joins us with the action. Mike. It's hard to run out of superlatives when we're talking about Tesla. So we saw call volume outpace put volume today by about two to one. Most of that was very short dated. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 14 percent by the end of the week. And most of that activity was concentrated in the weekly 2000 strike calls. Almost 20,000 of those traded for around about $25. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock could go above that $2,000 strike price by the end of the week. You guys were talking earlier about the engagement of individual retail traders in the marketplace, the average trade size of all of those contracts, just two contracts. So that suggests that there's a lot of retail participation in options and continuing to bet on the momentum in the stock. There's a very low probability, though, I would suggest, by the options market that it actually gets to those levels. Hmm. Chris, what do you see? I think it's time to fade the name here. And this is a stock we've liked for a long time. It broke through a thousand. We got that right. I think as it you start to look at some of the volume trends here. The volume last Monday and that big reversal was huge. And then the stock tried to rally yesterday on less volume. I think the I think the institutional guys are starting to sell this one. I'd be careful. Yeah. Jeff Mills, what, what do you make of this, Ron? I mean, Jim Cramer called the move in Tesla, the move in Microsoft, insane. Yeah, it looks kind of insane to me, but it has for a while. So take what I have to say with a grain of salt. You know, J.P. Morgan put out a note and they basically said, look, they think all the near term good news is priced in. And I agree the, the chart is straight up. This is what a top looks like. I think you'd be able to buy it at lower levels. But this generally isn't a stock that we would buy anyway. It's a story stock. It's extremely volatile. I wouldn't own it. I wouldn't short it. I think the big question is valuation. So is it a tech software company or is it an automaker? Um, if it's a tech software company, maybe at a price to sales of 11 times, it's not so ridiculous. Uh, if it's a hardware automaker, then it is ridiculous. So maybe it falls somewhere in between. I don't know. So I'm still on the sidelines. Here's a tough one, Karen. I'll, I'll pose this to you. <laughs> Let's say you have a three-year time horizon. General Motors yeah. or yeah. Tesla? <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, the risk reward to me in General Motors, I guess, is better. But that is a very difficult one. Um, God, wow. What would you say? I'll put it right back at you. I, I, you know, I, I cannot opine <laughs> wow. on individual stocks. That's, that's what I leave up to you guys, <laughs> okay, the experts on this esteemed you. trading panel. All right, Tim, go for it. <laughs> Yeah, I'll take GM. I mean, obviously, the valuation is 
it, they're apples to oranges, but GM has underperformed massively, and GM has a balance sheet that actually I, I think you can, you can own. All right. Uh, for more Options Action, thanks, Mike, by the way. For more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, results from the Fast Pitch Poll and Final Trade. Welcome back to Fast. Time for the results of the Fast Pitch Poll. Jeff's pitch on SPGI. Let's see. Nope, sorry. Ooh. Unbreak my heart, Jeff, and you get the, the dance version, which makes it even worse. 65.8% no. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Time uh, to go around you know the horn. We're, we're, playing, we're playing baseball, so I'm batting 500. That's okay. <laughs> Let's go around the horn. Jeff, kick us off for the final trade. All right. Dollar's going lower. I think it's a tailwind for EEM, so stick with emerging markets. Chris Verone. Caterpillar higher. C-A-T. We love it here. Karen. Wells Fargo. I like the new hires, and there's a lot of expenses to cut. Stock's cheap. Tim. We talked precious metals tonight, Mel. SLV, silver's going to continue to outperform. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.